0: You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church podcast. Hang around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy
1: continuing our Sabbath series. And we've been looking at these four concepts, the things that we choose to fill our Sabbath. Sabbath means, the word means stop to cease. And so we've talked about stopping and resting and delighting. And this week we're talking about contemplating. Let's go ahead and look at the next slide. So we have, the, we have uh, our, our model there, I guess. I don't know what the, our pros What's the word, Josh? Muse. Muse, Our muse. That's what that's what I was looking for. So we got our muse. She's stopping. She's resting. Look at the smile on her face while she's resting. She's delighting in the in the flowers. She's contemplating a great big book. So uh, these are the four elements that we, that we are suggesting that you add to your Sabbath. And in a moment, we're going to give you a definition. But I just want to say that those four elements are like four legs of, of a chair. And if you don't have all four of those elements, if you're going, I'm going to stop and I'm going to delight, but I'm not going to rest. and I'm not going to contemplate. Well, that's like taking two of the legs off and then try sitting on it right? You remember those card tables where you just like, you pull out each leg of the card table one at a time. And you know, like there it's rusted from the last time it was used. And you're not sure you can get that third or fourth leg out. Um, same thing. If we remove a leg, if we do three of the four, are we getting everything that God has for us in that time within that Sabbath season, that 24 hours? Eh, maybe not. So just a picture for you. We'll probably talk about that some more maybe next week, but our definition, you know, what do you mean by Sabbath? Like we're we're Christians, what are we supposed to do? Well, here's here's Mission Ridge's definition. It's a 24-hour period that we choose. My family chooses Saturday. Logan chooses Saturday. Uh, Some people choose Wednesday. Some are choosing Friday. A lot of us in the room choose Sunday. It's just been what we grew up with and no one called it Sabbath, but that's really what it is when we think about it. Um, it's a 24-hour period that we choose to set apart to cease from our regular routine so that we can intentionally engage with God, ourselves, and those important to us. And, and, and contemplate is a big part of, of that definition of engaging. Contemplate is, is, is maybe the, the piece that really adds in the, the engagement portion of this. Like, how do we engage with, our, with God? How do we engage with ourselves? How do we engage with those around us that's different from our regular routine? Because it's not like I don't engage with people. It's not like I don't ever pray. It's not like I don't ever engage with myself. But how do I do that differently on Sabbath? And I would say that contemplation is a key ingredient. It's one of the legs. You remove that leg, and suddenly, do you trust that seat, that chair? Not as much. It doesn't work quite as well. And contemplation may be best found in an environment of silence. Ugh. I don't like silence. I don't know about you. The psalmist captured these words, be still and know that I am God. Stop striving and know that I'm God. Put everything else on silent. Put your phone on vibrate. Maybe just turn your phone off and know I am God. Mark Patterson says this, God often speaks the loudest when we are the quietest. God often talks the loudest when we choose to be the quietest. He also says this, can I go out on a limb? Your life is too Loud. Your schedule is too busy. Have those words hit home with anybody besides me in this room? That's how and why and when we forget that God is God. In Rob's world, when my life is too loud, too busy, too chaotic, I get focused on, on the problems that are way bigger than me. They're not bigger than our God, but way bigger than me. The challenges that are way bigger than me, my concerns that I can't solve, I don't I'm powerless to solve them, but our God is not powerless. I, uh, I, I I come by not liking silence, honestly. It, my 20 years of military taught me to not, like, not to expect silence, right? If you're out, if you're out, deployed someplace, and it's suddenly silent, like, shouldn't you be, you know, like, the back of your, you know, neck is, you know, the hair is standing up, right? You're like, oh, no, 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 this is not good. This is not good. Uh, And then later in my career, I I had a personal cell phone. I had a BlackBerry. And I had to be able to respond to that phone, that BlackBerry, within 15 minutes. That was the expectation. The general called. If my commander called, if my chief called, I had to be able to respond within 15 minutes. And I loved having that BlackBerry. But you know what? It was like my leash. We called it our leash. And it just, it it led my life. It took me on a path. It kept me hyper-vigilant. And silence is something that I haven't been good at. This is still my leash. It drives me nuts when Logan doesn't respond to my messages. I'm like, what is wrong with him? He probably just set his phone down and walked away from it. Probably a good idea. (laughs) Was it that important, Rob? No, but I was still kind of wigged out from the silence. And then my 14 kids, I mean, it's four kids, but oftentimes it felt like 14 kids because their friends were always over. Our house was never quiet. In fact, I learned with my kids that if everything was quiet, Oh, that was not good news. Do you know what I'm saying, parents in the room? you know what I'm talking about? When we went floating, Logan and I went floating, we did the pre-float before the float, right? And on the pre-float, I didn't take my phone. And I got in my inner tube, and I started floating down the water, and I'm going, oh, no. I'm going to be on this thing for two and a half hours. I died a little bit inside. I'm not kidding you. I don't do well with silence. If Logan isn't here, I turn on music. If the kids aren't home and Christy's gone and Stevie somehow is gone too, our dog, (laughs) if everybody's gone, I have to have something on. Anybody else in the room feel this? No? Just some of us? Uh, There's a song by 21 Pilots called Car Radio. And I identify with this song because I had this happen. He's The song is about the fact that someone stole his car radio. Now he's just listening to his own thoughts. He says, I hate this car that I'm driving. There's no hiding from me. I'm forced to deal with what is real. There is no distraction to mask what is real. I'm forced to deal with what I feel. There is no distraction to the mask. What is real? Uh, I instantly, emotionally, when I first heard this song, went back to that time as a teenager. I, I didn't want to pay attention to what I was feeling. I didn't want to pay attention to what was real in my world. I didn't want to. And so does he, does he say, okay, I'm going to just lean into this uncomfortableness? Nope. His solution is pull the steering wheel. Now, Logan and I pictured this differently, being having a mechanic background, pulling a steering wheel is a process where you remove the steering wheel. So you can't drive the car anymore. I hate the car, I hate the silence so much I'm not even gonna drive the car anymore. Logan took it as I'm just gonna pull the steering wheel as I'm doing eighty miles down the road and end like either way. Either way, he's not gonna really, he's not willing. To actually deal with the emotion, with what's real about what's going on inside of my heart. When was the last time you heard from God? When did you hear from him? What did he say? Was it good? Is your life too loud? Do you have too many things going on? If nothing's going on, are you running to social media to fill up that gap, that space, or running to turning on the TV or turning on the radio to fill up the dead space? So that you don't have to deal with how you feel, so you don't have to look at what's real. And maybe it 's not your schedule it 's not always my schedule. Um, we could look at the life of Elijah in first kings eighteen. Elijah faces uh, four hundred and fifty prophets of baal he has there 's this great conflict on Mount Carmel. If you want to read the story, you could go there and take a look at it but But I mean Elijah is bold he 's courageous it 's four hundred and fifty to one. And he stands in the face of that, and he mocks him. And, and he calls upon his God, and his God is real. So his God shows up and consumes this offering that's full of water, gallons and gallons of water. My, my uh, old professor called this the "zatfoof" method of consuming an offering. God said, zot, sends down a fire from heaven, and poof, it's gone. Like that's, this is Elijah, right? Bold, courageous, 450 to one, doesn't matter. My God's bigger than you. Your God is false. And then we move into 1 Kings 9. Now Ahab told Jezebel, that all that Elijah had done, Ahab and Jezebel were the king and queen of the northern kingdom. And these 450 prophets, they worked for Jezebel. Jezebel may be the most evil person in, in, in all the scriptures. Not sure if I could find a close second. Then Jezebel, the queen, sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and even more, what? What gods? Her false gods, the gods that don't even exist, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them tomorrow about this time. I mean, what's what's Elijah going to do here? Because he just faced 450 men and mocked them. I mean, this should be easy. The odds are much better. Seems like the odds are more in Elijah's favor, but he's... This happens. And he was afraid and arose and ran. Whew. Maybe I'm more like Elijah than I think. Some days I could be so bold for God, so on fire, but it's, it doesn't get any easier. And then I go limbic, I go fetal. I'm a little kid. That wants to run. And he ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under the juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. Take my life, Lord. Have you, ever, have you ever prayed that prayer? Like, Lord, I'm just done. Take, take it. Take me. Like, it's not like I'm suicidal. Not, not like I'm going to do something to myself. But if you're not going to show up, if you're not going to help me more than this, just take my life. It's, like, uh, it's a. Where are you, God? It's a desperate cry for help. And he lay down and slept under the juniper tree. And behold, there was an angel touching him and said to him, Arise and eat. Huh. It's kind of a gracious response from God, isn't there? Then he looked and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great. So he rose and ate and drank and went in the strength of the food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Maybe some connection to our our Lord and Savior here. We'll talk about that in footnotes. Then he came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah responded, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left and they seek my life to take it away. What do you hear in his voice? What do you hear in his voice? Words. I think he's disappointed, and he's not sure who to be disappointed in more: the people that he's trying to reach, his God, or himself. But ultimately, ultimately, isn't God, God in charge of all of this? Like you commissioned me. I'm your prophet. You set me out to do this. Why is this failing? Now I'll I'll say this. Elijah's perspective is a little skewed here. Is he the only one? I mean, he left his prophet or his his assistant. He's got, so there's at least two, right? But God later in this story is going to say that there are 7,000, which the number doesn't really matter In fact, that 7,000 could really just mean the perfect number of people have not bowed their knee to Baal. You think you're the only one, your perspective is off. And hasn't, isn't that true of us? Don't we say things that aren't true and we say it enough times that we just start buying into what we say? We say it, we hear it. We say it, we hear, our, we hear our own words, and pretty soon our perspective becomes our reality. It's not God's reality, but it's our reality. And maybe God wants to speak into that. So the Lord said, Go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. And a great strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. (laughs) What? Can you picture this? That's some wind. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But again... The Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a, scent, uh, a sound of gentle blowing. Uh, that's a horrible uh, translation for that. Uh, quite literally, it's a still, small voice. A still, small voice. God was in the still small voice if you know elijah's story he's the bold prophet he's the big prophet when he when he prays it doesn't rain for years there's a famine in the entire land when he faces off 450 prophets they all die from the sword this is Elijah. And God says, I'm not in the wind. I'm not in the earthquake. I'm not in the fire. I'm a still small voice. Let's see what happens. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Now, up to this point, I'm still not sure if Elijah is starting to understand. So let's look at his response when God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah. And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. The sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars and killed your prophets by the sword. And I alone am left and they seek to take my life away. He repeats himself. This, the first answer is exactly the same as a second answer. There is no change. Have you ever prayed to God so long, so loud for, you know, words and words and and God can't get in a word in edgewise because you won't stop talking because you want him to understand your perspective and he's got to hear you and it's just got to be my way, Lord. What's going on, God? Come on, come on. And you don't stop with your rhetoric because he has not. Changed his mind. And you won't let that still small voice speak into your life because you're angry, because you're frustrated, because you're disappointed, because you're hurt or you're broken. I've been there. I've been there. I asked my wife if I could share her story this morning. And she said I could. Uh, She would be here, but uh, she would have been here this morning, but she had to go pick up our daughter in Coeur d'Alene. So she's driving instead of worshiping with us today. But um, a number of years ago, our youngest child, uh, Jasmine, who now goes by B, so I'll use her, named B. Uh, B, we found out, had a cyst in their lower spine. And we took B to Seattle Children's Hospital, and we had the first surgery and the second surgery and the third surgery. And 18 months later, we had over 30 surgeries, and we had at least a one emergency surgery every month. And 12 months in... My wife and I, we were both done. Emotionally, mentally, spiritually, we were done. And Christy is a prayer. Christy prays, I, you know, like there's the super tasters that can really taste things. I call her a super prayer because she can pray for eight hours for an event and pray all the way through that. I pray for a good 20 minutes and then I'm like, high five, let's get out of here. And the way God communicates with my wife is different than me. Like the way I communicate with my four kids and they communicate back and forth with me, like it is different and it's unique and it's good. It's all good. It's fun. I enjoy those differences. I think it's amazing. The way God communicates with me is very different than the way he communicates with my wife. And I love it. It's fascinating to me. During this time period, God told Christy to pray for grace and strength. And she didn't want to pray for grace and strength. But like a prophet gets told, these are the words that you'll share and only these words. God was not budging with my wife. You will pray for grace and strength. And she did not get it because she did not want that. She wanted it to end we didn't know when this was going to be over. At, at one point, uh, B was in the hospital in Moscow, which is not really a hospital. That's another story another day. But she was in a medical center in Moscow, and they were releasing B to go to Seattle children. So Uh, Christy had been with B overnight and so went home to change and pack and was praying on the way home, Lord, I just don't want B to be scared because it's a six-hour drive. I don't want them to be scared. (sighs) While driving, B was... um, They'd, they'd taken out the IV. And uh, the, the nurse w- didn't, didn't do her job well. And the nurse leaves, and it just starts bleeding all over the place. And it's bleeding profusely. There's a pile on the ground. The clothes are soaked. It's the scariest thing that, that Bea had ever experienced up to that point. Everything that Christy prayed was the opposite. The result was the opposite, A month later, a month later, Christy says to her friends, I cannot watch her suffer anymore. And then she ends up getting bacterial meningitis and suffered for 60 days straight. What's a mom supposed to do with that? When she prays one way, And the answer seems to be something completely different. And God says, I want you to pray for grace and strength. And so for three years, three years, my wife, she's like, okay, I'll pray for grace and strength. But I'm not praying for nobody or nothing. And this is her gift. This is her design. This is who God created her to be, is to pray Well, back in April, Christy started to contemplate. She took time to contemplate Lord, why did you ask me to pray this way? What were you doing? I don't understand. And she put her agenda aside long enough and quieted herself long enough. Here, and she found out some really cool things because God told her that um, when when B had an, uh, an allergy all of a sudden to insects, which is a really rare allergy, really hard to find. Uh, most there's a lot of doctors and nurses that when we tell them that that they're allergic to insects, are like, I don't. What are you talking about? They don't know what. <laughs> I don't know what we mean. And it's not just NSAIDs. it's it's in vegetables like there's this whole ripple effect. God allowed my wife to identify that allergy. He made it possible for her to identify the allergy. When when B had meningitis, it was my wife who identified it. We got on it so fast. We're at, we're, we're at the Moscow Medical Center. <laughs> not even a hospital. Like if you're not dying, you drive right past it and you go to Pullman. <laughs> and we didn't do that for some reason. <laughs> on a scale of one to 10, the odds of them finding out that this is meningitis is almost nil. God said, I allowed you, I caused you to know that this is what was going on. During that time, Chrissy overcame her claustrophobia. She spent 60 days in a small, tiny hospital room, a third of this, well, about a quarter of the room this size. Took care of her claustrophobia. She gained the confidence to drive more than an hour. She, because of her anxiety, she would never drive any direction more than one hour. Now she could drive to Seattle and back from here. And ultimately, and there's more things. I'm looking at my wife's notes. Um, it's kind of like hieroglyphics. We, we both can be doctors the way we write. Um, but I, this is a note right out of her journal. Ultimately, it led us here. And since my wife in April started comp- contemplating that, it's led her to re-engage with her God in and in a re-engage this process of contemplation and journaling and studying and, and engaging with God. And, and it's changed our relationship between the two of us, her relationship with God and our relationship with others. And, and she is, I'm seeing healing in my wife that I've longed for for years. God has been so faithful, and this process of contemplation is changing my very best friend and my partner in life. Implication is this, contemplation during Sabbath deepens our relationships with God, ourselves, and those close to us. We need time to consider, how am I doing with you, Lord? Lord. How is this? What things have I not been willing to talk to you about? We need time for that. We need the time to look at how am I doing emotionally, physically, mentally? How did I do with exercise this week? Am I, am I eating the right things? Am I eating for the right reasons? Why was I so angry on Monday? And why did that spill over into Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? Like why, What what was going on there? What am I feeling? What's real about me? And and why is why is this relationship so hard? Like what is going on with my best friend or my coworker or my wife? What's going on there? We need time to contemplate those things, and Sabbath provides an opportunity Another implication is we often avoid quiet contemplation because we are afraid of what we will find hiding in our own heart When we choose contemplation though we can experience God's grace and we find ways to move forward We find ways to move forward See, I think if we look at that Genesis 3 story. Where Adam and Eve, they, they eat of the fruit of knowledge, good and evil, right? And they they immediately go to hiding. They go to hiding. They heard the the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? The question that God's asking is not about his geolocation. It's not like God somehow lost the ability to know all things. It's not that kind of aware. It's a, why are you missing? I placed you here. It's like, why? You know, like when I lose my glasses, I, I thought I placed them right here. Yep. Your wife moved them. She was helping you out. I placed them here. Why are they not there? That's what that where are you means in the Hebrew. Why are you hiding from me? What is getting in the way of our relationship? What is getting in the way of you hearing my voice. If you find yourself in that position where you are hiding from God and from yourself and from everyone else, know this, that if you respond to the gracious God that we love and serve, he'll respond graciously to you with open arms, with words that will bring healing and hope and restoration if you'll only respond to that question, where are you? Why are you not here? Why are you not Sabbathing? Why are you not taking time for our relationship? Because as Christians, I believe that there's three things that should be changed forever. Our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, and our relationship with each other, those things should be changed forever because of our walk with Christ, and Sabbath is a part of those changes. That is the mechanism that God uses to bring change. And if your relationships are no better, in fact, if they're worse than they were a year ago, then I'd ask you to consider what did your Sabbath look like in the past year? Have you taken the time? Have you made the investment? Have you shown up to listen to that still, small voice that still invites us into a relationship, that still invites us to restoration, that still invites us to healing? Couple next steps. Number one, have a discipleship conversation. What seems to be getting in the way of you hearing the still small voice of God? I need to have a relationship with 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 my buddy Steve that disciples me and talk about why I I'm not putting this thing down more often. Why I. Le- why I'm not allowing for silence. But then I need to have a relationship with the guys that I'm investing in, my life-transforming groups, my care groups. And ask them the question, how you doing? Are you hearing the still, small voice of God? How about you? Who's discipling you? Yeah, at the peer, the peer level, or maybe, maybe they're helping you grow and mature, And who are you helping to grow closer to experience that still small voice? Then the last next step, experiment with adding one way of contemplation to your next Sabbath. Maybe it's meditation, meditating on a scripture, just looking at a scripture over and over and over again, allowing that still small voice of God to replace those voices in your mind, in your heart, that say things are contrary to who God is and what his word says. Maybe it's journaling. That's what my wife does the most. Maybe it's evaluating your eating, your sleeping, your exercise, your relationships, your, your how well are you taking care of yourself so that you can give your very best self to the world to those that you love. Maybe it's Bible study. Maybe it's going through a specific study on a specific issue. For me, prayer walk, walking and praying at the same time, leaving my phone behind, that's that's the best time for God to speak to me. It's the best way. There's some other ways, but what's it look like for you? Experiment. Try things out. Test it you don't like it, yeah, experiment with something else. We were made for a deep, intimate relationship with God, and that doesn't wait until heaven. It should be now. It can be now. And if you want help in doing that, reach out to Logan or myself. We'll journey with you. That you could experience that because there's nothing better. That's the life that we're called to.
0: Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you are in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come say hello. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for tuning in.